0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brame. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that supports people who are struggling with herpes stigma, connecting them to community and mental health resources. I am your host, Courtney Brame. I think I just said my name already, but hey, you know how it is. We make mistakes, we leave them in because none of us are perfect. We're all human. Today I have Kim here with me. Kim you are someone who has been around in, I want to call it the advocacy space, for a pretty long time. Can you tell me how many years you've been an admin for um, the herpes support groups that you're a part of?
1: Um, I think I've been an admin, whether it's in different states or groups, at least six to seven years now, if not longer.
0: Yeah, so you've been in this for a minute.
1: I I was in, I was in these groups before we even hit a thousand people. Yeah. Long time.
0: I'm curious to know what did your being an admin look like six, seven years ago before that thousand person mark? Oh, well the
1: thousand person mark was 12 years ago. Admining seven years ago. Um, you know, there was already thousands of us in these groups, but it was, it was more local when I was in my hometown state. Um, A lot of it was just, you know, coordinating the events, getting people together to actually connect and meet each other and not just sit on computers and talk and, you know, build the friendships that way. But it was getting out and engaging with each other and finding friendship.
0: Yeah. I'm curious to know, how did you yourself get started with taking on the responsibility of adminning the herpes support groups that you adminned?
1: The first one started just with a very um, inactive group, so those that were in those admin roles were just there to, you know, um, kind of regulate the group and not actually try to coordinate meeting and whatnot. Um, some of the states it's just hard because it's more spaced out and you don't have a local group that's you know high in population numbers that are close by. So those events that we first hosted, a lot of them you know, required travel, so people would come from other states even just to start engaging and whatnot. So
0: all right. And when you talk about the inactivity of these groups, originally were these supposed to be groups that fostered in person community or was it more for people to come and get herpes information or what?
1: Um, I would say back then the very first one I started helping with, um, They were still new in the branching out into you know having your state groups or regional groups so not everyone knew what their intent was like you know we have our national support groups and our regional groups for activities the state groups kind of just formed just to get people connected to each other and so then i think as the time went on and as i participated engaging those meetups and stuff it just evolved within that time
0: okay And I'm curious to know, it is very, very, very challenging (laughs) to find these support groups. Like for me, I'm someone who I have had herpes for uh, 2022, will probably make my ninth year of having herpes. And I didn't find any of the support groups until four years into my diagnosis, shortly after I started this podcast. And I'm curious to know, how do you find people to join the groups?
1: You know, I think it's kind of different for everyone. You know, I've added people to our groups that were diagnosed the same day. You know, um, it just depends on the outreach and what people are looking for when they get diagnosed. You know, some some people instantly go to the Internet now and some people, you know, they kind of just hone in on that in, internally and they don't know where to reach out Um You know i think there's a lot of dating websites now where a lot of us admin and other active members try to engage in like i don't know we call it recruiting you know letting people know what's out there um you know uh, we have people in the in the um group that you know they reach out to their local um doctors and medical facilities to like share the information too um so you know like before when i was diagnosed it was 21 years ago so I mean there was nothing and so it took me quite a long time before we found anything um so I think it can vary it just depends on people's you know want to learn more about their diagnosis and you know and not have that fear of you know if I reach out to someone that I find on the internet you know are they going to be okay you know are they a safe person you know
0: yeah that speaks to something that I also wanted to touch on which is just how much work really does go into the advocacy that people will never, ever understand um, unless they're a part of this. Um, I've seen a few of the other admins with putting together events, I see what goes into it when I attend events and when I get to see people just interacting and living their best lives and socializing and connecting with one another, the space that you all as admins, as event planners and coordinators and recruiters uh, have created is something that just doesn't get near as much praise as I get for just being someone who has the privilege of being open about my herpes status and receiving that like applause and whatnot but like it's y'all like without y'all and these spaces that you've created I don't think that there would be as intense of an advocacy from me because I feel like I owe it to someone like you or someone like some of the other admins who are out there doing the work that you all do engaging with people directly and making them feel safe making them feel good empowering them to uh disclose their status and uh, treat their symptoms and manage symptoms with various uh, ways that you know they otherwise may not have come across or heard of if it hadn't been for you so I say all of that to just thank you, first off, for putting together what it is that you have put together alongside all of the other admins that are out there.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I I really feel like, you know, hosting large events is kind of like the treat. So instead of, you know, taking it all on myself, you know, working in your groups and, you know, other people getting excited and wanting to bring people in. So I think that... You know, I think the the other group members kind of help in that recruiting part far more. I try to lean on the you know, let me give you incentive, <laughs> like you know, because you know, for me to be out there trying to you know engage on dating apps and stuff like they do, you know, my time has to get focused elsewhere. So um, I've really tried to transition to kind of getting others to also take those roles on you know so i think it's more important to get more numbers versus me making more effort
0: yeah and it's something that is sometimes thankless if you will uh people are volunteering their time and just making the effort themselves to pull people into spaces of community to Wherever it's safe, wherever it feels safe. So if that's on the dating apps, if that's in spaces where people do have herpes and they know that they have herpes, like we're creating and have already created this sense of community through an adversity, through what can sometimes have been a traumatic event in our lives that we're able to connect over and bond over and have this sense of community to support healing through so when we talk about the community when we talk about the groups when we talk about events what we're talking about here is a safer saferly i don't know a more safe uh space that fosters connection through something that is so stigmatized and For you and the community that you're part of, built and uh, currently now have access to, it's like you're not just a space where people come in and they vent about herpes. You're a space where people get to just be in presence with one another and have that shared sense of understanding of what each other have been through.
1: I mean, I can I can speak to myself that my closest friends are all from the groups now. Like, I've bonded. Even the first people I met at my very first event out of state uh, 11 years ago, I think it is now. Um, like, they're still some of my best friends today. And there's countless times where, you know, everyone's in different stages of their diagnosis. But once people accept their diagnosis, how many times I've heard them say, I'm so happy I got herpes, or I never would have found this community. <laughs> so it's really kind of funny when you hear that, because, you know, some some people came in, like, you know, at the end of all hope, you know, and now they've created bonds, and they come to these events. And, you know, I mean... The other bonus is I can travel almost anywhere and and have a free place to stay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's how I look at it, too. Like with so many friends all over the place, like whether you've just said hi or exchanged messages or liked something or commented on something, there is still that shared sense of community. Like I feel like I can tap into the network if I have an event somewhere and I want to like crash on somebody's couch. I know that I can and like pay for dinner or something like that drinks I don't know but that's a possibility and that's a possibility that before having herpes I think that my network of associates even or friendship or just people that I trust at a certain level was a lot more condensed whereas now it's way more expansive. And again, it's through something that I never would have thought I'd have been like, "Oh man, you know, because of herpes, I now have friends all over the place," right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um it it's a game changer, you know. I I think, you know, between the time I was diagnosed and it not being, you know, we didn't have the same <laughs> platforms on social media then, you know, like I'm grateful that people can find us so soon now. Even if sometimes it takes others long time, a long time. You know, having those people that come to me and it's their first day. You know the the support and offer of you know good words and kind words. You know it. You know that's the reason that keeps me around. Is you know all the the thanks that I get as far as that. Yeah, it's a whole different story sometimes, but you know, just those individual connections and knowing
0: that, you know, I could pay it forward. Uh, I was going to bring up burnout and compassion fatigue, and you've already kind of touched on it there with what makes this as rewarding as it does. Like you're volunteering your time to put all of the work in that you have put in. So I'm curious to know, like, are there any self-care practices for you in being as involved as you are with the groups and the socializing and the connecting and uh the sometimes venting i'm sure and any sort of like drama that can occur just from being inside a community like what does taking care of yourself look like to minimize any uh burnout or compassion fatigue
1: yeah you know i mean obviously our our admin network has our own group (laughs) um so we can reach out always and discuss things coming up and then you know you have your trusted friends that you can confide in for some things your fellow admin um other than that you know i I'll, I'll host one big event and then i go release all of that stress and be a participant at another event so um that's, that's
0: kind of the nice thing about that all right. And what happens at these events? I'm sure people are wondering, well, event event, what does that mean? What is it? Um I've been to ones that have had recreational sports activities. We've had barbecues, pool parties, uh different like dating games and uh karaoke, bowling, Playing at the arcade, Top Golf, there's all types of things. I went ziplining for the first time in Louisville. So there's all types of stuff that I can speak to from my experience. And these are just some of those things. But uh, what are some of the things that um, other people have told you that they've really enjoyed about the groups or different activities that they've had experiences with?
1: yeah i think you know a lot of it depends on location and what kind of activities you can get going so um you know some people have their favorite national events you know i love the i love florida and the beach um so that's always a good time um a lot of feedback with the the event i host um is it's very welcoming for newbies being in the area that i'm at um there's a lot of active members um being added to groups all the time and so um that feedback was always shared that you know this is a great icebreaker because everyone is just so welcoming you know some events get so large that you know you do have friends that are old friends and kind of hang out with each other and whatnot but you know it's always just about creating that icebreaker and then you know the majority of everyone wants to just include and get to know everyone so my event kind of stays a little bit smaller so we max out at 150 so we're not seeing those numbers of 400 and people just kind of feel lost and lost in the crowd so um you know we get that um and a lot of it is just the new activities you know they get to do things they never thought they were going to do you know zip lining um you know swimming with manatees going going on in the ocean doing cruises um you know some of the events have even turned international so people are going over to europe for events i mean the groups are international so i mean australia has a very large base um and then Europe they've been starting to do travel events there's travel groups where they all just create their own little cruise group and then they go off on cruises so I mean really I mean the opportunity is limitless when someone wants to step up and not just wait for someone else to plan stuff and that's what I've noticed a lot more lately is more people are kind of trying to be like hey I want to do this anyone
0: else
1: (laughs) and they're creating these impromptu little vacations and stuff so it's
0: good to see yeah that is and i imagine that this is different since your diagnosis and as someone who has lived with herpes for 21 years can you speak to um i guess really just share your story like when you were diagnosed and then how you navigated that up until the point where you are now yeah so i
1: was 18 six months into being active <laughs> sexually and uh um you know i i had a new boyfriend and i didn't know like what was happening he and you know i just was feeling sick and um he just kept trying to be insistent that it must just be something with the condoms so in my mind today it tells me that he probably knew what it was but you know so i got the diagnosis and struggled through a very bad first outbreak um i had a doctor that walked in the door and handed me a box of kleenex and said "It's herpes don't have sex when you have an outbreak and shut the door and just let me cry <laughs> um so not only did he give me incorrect information um like i mean there's no compassion so i thought the world was ending um but then you know that went away my boyfriend didn't leave me and then it wasn't a thought at all uh, it turns out like i was asymptomatic so Years later, I did a blood test um, and found out I have HSV-1 genital. so I've been fortunate enough to live asymptomatically, and so the struggle for me was more mental and disclosing at first, once I went through some more college health classes and learned, you have to disclose. Um, But then I got married, and it was after our divorce that I was like, how am I going to navigate this? And then that's when I got on the internet, and I found an old dating website, and I made those connections to the people that were the original founders of the first group so you know as soon as that group kind of started with an idea of just a group of friends to have a different outlet on another outside platform of the dating website to chat and then they decided to open that up to friends of friends which then led to them my friend being one of their friends and so the group was a few hundred in and I got added to that very first group and you know, that just kinda of saved me. It gave me my own, you know, not only was I fresh out of a divorce trying to navigate my own new friends and family that's not there, you know, it just gave me somewhere for an outlet to find support and friendship. So then, you know, I I went to my first my very first event wasn't even a local event, it was a national event. And I just threw myself in there. <laughs> um and so after that, then, you know, I just started engaging more. And then, you know, as the group started breaking out into the smaller ones, then, you know, I finally stepped up and tried to help take on some local stuff and activities to kind of pay it forward.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. Uh I am disappointed at the care that you received upon diagnosis. You were given... It's like he just threw a grenade in the room and ran out like it's herpes and then shut the door. But um, with navigating the mental health struggles, I'd like to put a little bit more time into that part of your experience, because for someone who's been diagnosed for 21 years, I think I've spoken to maybe a handful of people who were diagnosed um, for more than probably 10 years. Um, And you're one of the few. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm curious to know what were some of your mental health challenges and how did you navigate that prior to having found uh the support groups
1: um you know at first it wasn't really a thought based on what the doctor said but then once I was back out in that dating world and had learned more things you know it was really it was really scary and I think I was in that mental place of like thinking that someone needed to make me an exception at first when I, when I disclosed. Right. So, you know, Oh, I have this and just, you know, but then, you know, you start to realize that it isn't about you being an exception. It's about you now becoming more um, uh, aware of who you're choosing. So, you know, you're not just choosing anyone that chooses you. Right. So then I, I evolved to that. And then I evolved to, you know, like sometimes someone would could message me on a dating app and my first response is my disclosure <laughs> you know it's like you know I'd rather weave the people out that are gonna judge it instantly than spend my time trying to get them to like me and then try to make me be an exception because they like me so much so it kind of goes to like the complete opposite of it it's like accept it as it and not because you're accepting it because you like me because I don't ever want then if you were to get it then come back and say well I only did this for you you know so I've, I've always wanted the acceptance to be the, the diagnosis not because of me tied to it at all so I mean at, today in the last few years like my life is you know here's my diagnosis I'm more than that and I'm worth a lot more than that <laughs> so you can take it or leave it basically and You know, I can pretty much at the point where even educating, like if someone makes an ignorant comment, I can use my disclosure. And, you know, most times then it kind of puts people not in their place, like in a rude way, but it opens their eyes to more education more times than I've ever gotten negative responses from, you know, do it.
0: Uh, I wanted to ask you about your sex life pre-diagnosis versus after your diagnosis, but you didn't have one. (laughs) It was just like. (laughs) This happened.
1: Yeah, not much of one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, six months in, Um, my boyfriend stayed with me at the time, and based off of my ignorance and believing that doctor, because, I mean, if you go back to, like, the 90s <laughs> and sex ed, like they talked about all of the diseases that you can catch from unsafe sex. They tell you you can go to jail if you didn't disclose HIV, but they never talked about how you tell someone, right? So that part is never in your head, like. And honestly, they never really expand on the the fact of a cold sore or a fever blister, whatever someone wants to call it, on their mouth can is is herpes and goes anywhere. So, you know, it didn't cross my mind it, at those times. So, you know, luckily I was asymptomatic, and I've never had anyone come back and say that they ever had anything. Um, but then once i was divorced and living you know i mean i don't think my sex life was any different i mean i disclosed and i i can't remember the last time someone has rejected um my disclosure honestly so
0: you did two things in what you just said that i really liked and want to highlight one of which you explicitly said rejecting of your disclosure or rejecting of your diagnosis not you and then the last thing that you just said was you haven't been you haven't had a disclosure rejected i'd like to speak to that because i think in the front-facing advocacy i've made the comment of a person just not being compatible with you therefore Y'all aren't going to have sex or move forward if you disclose your status, like they probably just didn't like you, whereas you bringing your status to the forefront, it's more about them not liking herpes, not you. I would like for you to tell me, and maybe I'll be able to articulate this a little bit better, but this is just a new thought for me, so I'm kind of talking through it as uh, it's coming, Talk me through your logic of seeing it as the person is rejecting your diagnosis, not you. Um,
1: um, I mean, I guess the best way I could probably try to sum that up is, you know, the earlier you're doing a diagnosis or a disclosure, I'm sorry, when you're meeting someone, especially dating online, you know all they know about you is what made them message you, right? And so there's nothing to dislike about you at that point other than that. Um, you know, some I, a lot of people tell me, oh, I want to get them to like me before I disclose. You know, then then you don't really know what is, you know, and what is the reason. Like maybe now it's that plus these other things about you and they put it all together and maybe that's what they don't like. You know, but... <clears throat> you know, if you just lay it out there and you're just honest up front, I've gotten more respect and, you know, thanks from guys from just putting it out there, you know, and and most times today, like in this dating world, you know, not a lot of people are so ignorant. They have some knowledge or most times, you know, you know, i like to always lead off with, have you ever had a cold sore or a fever blister? Because then that way, as soon as they say that then you know you have leverage to try to explain what it is right um and to kind of not get them to try to be above you at that point because you guys are on the same level at that point because herpes is herpes whether it's on your mouth or down there and so the acceptance should be no different
0: i don't know how you managed to come up with that but it makes so much sense that i mean I hear mixed messages, but I don't think I've ever heard it articulated this way. And you just said it so simple, like reject me for my or reject my diagnosis, not reject me for my diagnosis. You said they reject my diagnosis. You're so detached from your your identity is so not attached to your herpes diagnosis that when you experience rejection, it's not yours to experience. It's a rejection of this thing not me. Is that kind of in the ballpark?
1: Oh yeah, I, definitely. Because I mean, I mean, that's the truth. And whenever anyone reaches out and wants help, how do I disclose? I mean, the The first thing is confidence, and don't let it lead you to needing to get accepted, right? So, um, the more confident you are in that, in separating it from it being like a baggage, right. It, it's just what it is, and, you know, if, if it was something that needed to be considered as baggage, then, you know, we'd have doctors testing for it. We'd have them, you know, tracking that and, you know, doing, close, like, the contact tracing. So, I mean, it's not. It's, it's an expected virus, and most likely everyone has been exposed to it or, you know, there's that huge majority of people that do already have it, whether it's one or two or they're asymptomatic. So, I mean... If anything, if my disclosures just help, you know, bring that knowledge to someone and then they keep hearing it more and more, then maybe the person that's meant to be for them, they won't reject them for that status, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for elaborating on that so well. Um, And because like I mentioned, you know. People, I hear so many different versions of, well, it's a part of me. If you can't accept this, you can't accept me. Or this is something that comes with me. And yeah, it it does. But I almost feel like people weigh their worth alongside whether or not someone chooses to be intimate with them after they disclose their herpes status. So it's like, is my, just like you said, you know, for people to be like, maybe I should make them like me first and then disclose Like, what does that do for you if you've poured into this person, you've poured into the interaction, you poured into uh, the relationship and you've given them the best of you as unsustainable as being on 10 all it's un Yeah, you can't sustain being on 10 all the time. And then you slip in a herpes disclosure when a person decides to reject or accept your disclosure, your herpes diagnosis, then what? It's almost like you're setting yourself up for failure because on one hand, if they reject it, now you've been so invested in this interaction that it has to be a blow to your ego to think but I was so awesome to you I was so good to you and you've created this covert expectation that the more awesome you are the more likely that person is going to want to be with you despite having herpes right and then on the other hand if they accept you and you're on 10 what happens after they say all right that's fine let's move forward do you then go "Ah, all right I can stop doing this shit now I can Go back down to like a five or a six because this 10 shit is for the birds. And now you're in a situation where there's an inconsistency because the person that they accepted was on 10. And now after you've held your breath to stay on 10, you stop and you start breathing like normal and you start behaving like you normally would. Then what? And there's just this ongoing covert uh, expectation of If I'm the best person I can possibly be, then you're going to want me. There's no way you can reject me for being like this. And then either response that you get is potentially going to be self-sabotage in the relationship rather than just coming in as you are. And then, oh, hey, by the way, I have herpes. Is that a problem for you? Or have you had someone disclose to you before? Or even like you said, do you get cold sores or fever blisters? And then begin to segue into a conversation that way
1: yeah um well I, I think that being on ten isn't that the struggle of every new relationship in dating these days <laughs> um, whether it be with or with piece. Um, yeah I think you know I get what you're saying you know there's people I've talked to that you know they all they want is to just get get to that stage that they're liked so much that nothing is going to make someone say no to them but then um that's putting the control in someone else. So you're giving control up, and I don't like to give control up. <laughs> um, and so, it's, you know, teach, you know, have that confidence. You know, be be um, whole truth in what you expect and want when you disclose. You know, um, you know, if you're willing to get on daily medication, if you're not already, if if you think or would be. Um, uh, able to always use protection with them or when do you not use protection after have been in that relationship, you know, expectations that you have in the bedroom, what you're willing to not do or do. You know, I think, you know, I've always been very adamant of here's my disclosure. I expect to never be treated any different. And I expect nothing to be any different in the bedroom, you know, because a lot of times guys would be like, Oh, well, yeah, I'd sleep with you, but I won't do oral, you know, like silly stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, no, buddy. Like, We're living a normal sex life if you're going to accept me, you know? And so, you know, whether that takes precautions for so long beforehand, yeah, that's a whole different story. But, like, you're not going to withhold from me something because of that, because that's you still not accepting my status, you know?
0: All right. I want to, I want to, I didn't expect for us to go here, but I want to, I want to be there because that is something I hear fairly often. And it's actually something that I've experienced a couple of times now. Where a partner is not okay with the risk of, um, I'm sorry, they are okay or seemingly okay with the risk of having intercourse with a condom, but they will not go down on you, right? It's, or what what I'm getting at is, it's always women, it's... It's women, women I hear from who are like, yeah, I've been with this guy for a while and he won't go down on me, but we'll have sex with or without a condom. But the guy just won't go down on them because they have herpes. And it's like you are capable of having the kind of sex life that includes oral sex. If that's important to you, if that's something that you enjoy, why withhold that just for a percentage of the kind of sex that you could be getting you know and i'm i'm curious because uh you're you're a woman so are you able to speak to this at all like from whatever perspective, because to me it looks like that thing about self worth, self confidence, and being like, "Oh my God, great! Someone accepted me. I'm gonna get to have sex. Oh, but I won't get to have oral sex. That's okay. It's Sex, sex is sex, and I'm getting acceptance." So, outside looking in from a guy's perspective, that's what I see happening. What do you think?
1: I, I think it. De- <laughs> uh, I think it depends on what stage everyone's in, you know, I, for me, I see a lot more people making better choices in partners and not, you know, saying, yeah, I'll sleep with them just for anyone. Um, I, it does happen, obviously, especially like if you have someone that's more like new from a, a long relationship, you know, and they're just getting out there. And they've never had to deal with it, you know, because there's a lot of people that come out very long marriages, um, and they were diagnosed together, um, <clears throat> or they got it right after that, and you know, they made one bad mistake <laughs> at, the, at the end of their divorce, um, and so you know, I can see like I'll see that more so in people like that where it's just a anything, even if you won't do something, um, but those that have sustained their diagnosis and have been dating, I I see more people being more choosy to who they decide to date because they've learned from their diagnosis you know that a lot of them you know it was a poor decision so now i'm going to make better decisions or i don't want to disclose to more people than i want to because some people still are more fearful in being open about it so you know they don't want to disclose unless they're seeing some potential you know so it's kind of twofold at
0: this point, what I see. All right. And I want to be clear here that we're speaking from primarily a heterosexual standpoint. Uh, and in my personal experience, I've recognized that partners who don't want to go down on me are not actually okay with having sex with someone who has herpes. And when I now in hindsight, damn, it's interesting. I wish I would have known or thought about this earlier because I think I probably could have saved a handful of uh, OK sex interactions because like I don't want to have OK sex anymore. Like sex is an overall experience, inclusive too for me, at least oral and intercourse and it, the touching, the sensuality of it, like it's a dance if you will and if we're not on the same wavelength like if i want to do this move i'm stepping to the right you step to the left like hold on what you doing over there you're supposed to be over here like we're not compatible dance partners energetically speaking if we can't have the experience and part of that Leads into um, if you've listened to something positive for positive people episode ninety nine integrative disclosure it touches on Dr. Evelyn Dacker's Stars Talk where we talk about our turn ons and voice. so to be able to negotiate the expectations if you will of sex or what your standards are for sex of what you will do won't do what you need in the bedroom or car or room or kitchen wherever it is that you're being sexually active being able to communicate those kinds of things up front and then you know going into the sexual interaction like it's not going to be a surprise when you're like looking at a person and looking down at your genitals looking at that person looking down at your genitals like hey you doing this or what or you go down on them expecting reciprocity and not receiving it so i I, I know better now <laughs> to, that that it's about communication. And I think that for me personally, my herpes diagnosis has made me a much better sexual communicator because I've had to lean into the discomfort of speaking about my own STI status and also still holding partners to the same standards that I would expect to to be held to, which is not just disclosing and speaking to what the other person has, but also like, when's the last time you've been tested? Do you know what you were tested for? Have you ever had an STI? These are conversations that can also occur within the realm of disclosing our HSV status. Kim, did you have something you wanted to add? I talked a lot and I saw you kind of nodding a little bit.
1: Oh, I was agreeing with you. (laughs) You know, I think we all went down that road of, you know, accepting things that we wouldn't have before. I mean, it's an evolution in coming to terms with your diagnosis.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely an evolutionary <laughs> process and I can attest to that because where I started and where I was when I first got diagnosed and a few years after that to the point that I'm at now, I feel like these were completely different life cycles. Like I was a different person in each of these parts of my life uh around STIs and with the knowledge that I have now, with the experiences that I have now, I am hoping to be able to continue to bring the the insights and the knowledge and the wisdom from veterans in this space who've been doing this advocacy in the. Ooh, I I caught myself about to say archaic, <laughs> like old school. I don't know what to say, but it, I want to use my privilege, use this new media to bring the wisdom. Of your experience of other admins experience of other people who've been in these support groups for a long time to the forefront so that not only we can get more involvement from the community, because I feel like it's so separated that you have to be in the right place at the right time with the right person with the right message in order to know that any of these social support groups even exist. And it's kind of like a cool kids underground club. You know, if you do have herpes, you have to be willing to put yourself out there in a way that can be seen by someone who is connected to or involved with these HSV support groups in order for you to be let in. But I think that This kind of a conversation is something that inspires people to reach out. I think that it inspires people to also... become advocates in their own way and advocates for community advocates for the groups advocates for the events and also advocates to the point where just like you, you disclose to people up front, your disclosures to people who might not have herpes or might not be aware of what their herpes status is. That's how we create allyship. So being able to dissolve stigma within ourselves Just enough to where we can confidently disclose to sexual health partners or potential partners. And then even in that experience, we create a sense of allyship. That sense of allyship is what it's going to take in order for us to completely dissolve stigma and I mean, we're definitely a long way from there, but we're always making progress as long as we're willing to participate in the creation of allyship through something as simple as disclosing to potential sexual partners and looking out, reaching out for support. Oh, I know if you. Yeah, I didn't know if you had anything to add to that. <laughs>
1: I guess, I mean, the one thing I could say is the majority of the groups are also um, open to HPV status, so if if you have either or, you know, so I think that's one of the, it's, HPV is very common, you know, I'm finding more and more people that are coming into the groups that are actually having both statuses, Um, even HIV positive and HSV or HIV and HPV, you know, and so it's trying to find a realm for them as well, you know, so as everything evolves in acceptance of disclosures you know whether the status is now especially when you can have undetected HIV statuses so um you know I think you know there's room to even get more support and stuff out
0: there for them yeah and maybe one day we'll get to a point where our HSV status can be detected or undetectable as well so we, we science is coming a long way. <laughs> We're doing good. And um, yeah, we just got to we, we got to encourage allyship. And in doing so, we have to be allies for ourselves and with one another. Kim, I thank you very, very much for taking the time to speak with me and share some insights about your experience, what it means to navigate these support groups, the social groups, the events. Um, thank you. Oh, you're
1: welcome. It was fun
0: i'm glad i'm glad i could tell you were a little bit nervous at first but as the conversation went on you like loosened up a little bit and you stopped saying you know yeah
1: that's just part of my upbringing up here now um so obviously i'm up north (laughs) yeah um but yeah, I think it's better to go in blind and then you don't overthink what you're about to
0: say. So <laughs> I appreciate that. It makes for a much more organic conversation. And I just I want people to know that they can come here and say what they need to say and just feel like they're having a conversation because that's what this all started as. It's just me having conversations with people who were at an okay place with their herpes diagnosis for the sake of getting this information and that conversation in front of people who were not at an okay place with their diagnosis. So I appreciate your energy. I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we will reconnect um, around the time I'm posting this podcast episode, and I'll let you know about it. Perfect. All right, Kim, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. You too. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share, donate to this podcast, nonprofit organization. We are... Continuing to build a network of therapists, hopefully across each state, so that when people reach out, we're able to already have that connect in place and continuing to raise money in order to be able to pay for it for people. So that um, if you're struggling with herpes stigma, you can come get yourself a therapist and you can deal with the things that the herpes diagnosis oftentimes uncovers and whatever trauma there is or may be surrounding that uh, begin the healing process for it. And if you're someone who can't afford therapy and if we're not at where we need to be as far as being able to pay for it, I'm working on it, I promise. Then I can connect you to support groups, social groups, um, as well as additional resources. And of course, this podcast is a great resource. We've got over 220 episodes of lived experiences from people. That's four years worth of content going on five. We're on our fifth year of Having this podcast and being able to interview people weekly, I remember starting out, I thought that maybe we'd have one interview per month or something like that. But it's really wild to see how, you know, the sharing of one podcast led to two more people wanting to get involved to four people and then eight and 16, 32 so yeah, here we are and this is this is a resource now and it's our resource by us from us for us. And as we continue to share these experiences and welcome in allyship, I think that people who don't have herpes are going to start listening to this podcast and having this understanding and we'll get this into the medical community and when people talk about SCD prevention that They'll begin to incorporate the lived experiences of people who have had to navigate STI stigma, taking the communication lessons that we've all learned and begin to integrate those into what I hope to be considered STI minimization. And you, the listener, whether you're a past guest, whether you're a donor, whether you're a sponsor all of you have put your energy into this space making it what it is and i hope that you're proud of this i hope that you're proud of the growth i hope that you're proud of the development and that you are able to see just the impact that's being had i see it on a daily basis whenever i get the messages whenever i get engagements and posts or when people reach out to me or email me um and I just get to see it. I get to see people living their life the way that they want to, despite having herpes. And that's really what this is all about. Just come here, get what you need, and then be able to leave. If you need something, then come back to it. But live your life along the way. And once again, as I always say, sexual health is mental health. All right? So keep that in mind. And until next time, stay sex positive. I didn't even know you was here. I thought you was leaving.